Welcome to the Sun Solar Panel. I'm Espo. Ahoy hoy. He's Dave King, who apparently forgot how to use his mic without Tim Tompkins. And our special guest this week is uh, Brendan Clean. Brendan is oh. a writer for Bright Side of the Sun, Forbes.com, <laughs> Dime Magazine. He graduated from uh, the Cronkite School at ASU. So we have some credibility on the episode Ooh. this week is what I'm saying. Uh, so Happy to bring it. <laughs> we, are too, we are too legit to quit is what we are. Dave, what do you what do we got going on on this episode? What do we got going on? All right, what we're going to talk about is who should the t- Suns take at number ten? Should it be Desmond Bain, who was rumored to be uh, targeted the Suns this week, or should they do something else entirely? Should we focus on Jeremy Grant as a free agent target or somebody else? Um, what do Anthony Davis and Bam Adebayo tell us about DeAndre Aiden's potential future in the NBA? How much should we expect from Mikel Bridges going forward? Is he as, as you know, everything gravy from here on out or should we be expecting more? And then we're going to go to your questions in the chat and Facebook. I know some of you are, are live on YouTube right now. Others uh, are live on Twitter and Facebook and things like that. We will be taking your questions throughout the show, and then we'll wrap up the biggest questions at the end. So how are you doing today, Brendan? Thank you for coming on. I'm doing great. Basketball has been nonstop. I know not a lot of suns, but I'm sure fans are enjoying the finals. We got to savor it while we have it. So uh, yeah, it's been a fun week, both the NBA and WNBA finals, but looking forward to talking suns. It's kind of sneaking up on us that the offseason and draft is coming. Everything's just so different this year. It almost doesn't feel like that, but uh, excited to get into it. Do we even know when free agency will begin? Has the league even even said that yet? I, I don't I don't think we've heard officially when we'll even get this chaos. Sometime around the draft. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> no, I mean, we don't even know the salary cap. We don't even know like these option dates and all the mechanisms, all the little things that have to get decided doesn't feel like any of that's come out. So we'll see. It's gonna it's gonna be chaos, I think. I think that's what this is gonna equate to. Well, one thing is that our show is not chaos because we even have a uniform now. Apparently, we have glasses, black baseball cap, and a t-shirt. That's exactly that's our uniform going forward. Everybody's got to wear the same thing, just like servers at a restaurant. And uh, and Brendan, just so you know, if if you want to get up and leave at any point to go get a drink or, or go to the bathroom, we're used to that on this show. So as a guest, we just like to let you know that you are, are capable of <laughs> doing that at any Great. point uh, during this, if you'd like to get up. And but we will stuff. give you shit as we watch you walk away. Yes, but yeah. that's just the way this rolls. So uh, glad yeah, to I like have- that the Hey Duke has the Glasses Half Full podcast. I like that. <laughs> and <laughs> MT, it was like, all right, the blind cast i love that too yes <laughs> i you know i take i take offense to that one i i, I, I would have uh there could have been a three blind mice joke there somewhere like be more creative, you're just disappointed is that I, it yeah yeah well, that's true uh now you all you two need to grow beards as well but not I, you know glad. i shaved mine down a little tight tighter than usual this week but my beard comes in more like santa claus than than greg's so we're not uh, going to be able to match on that one we we knew that we knew that we were going to get off the rails quick here because uh, I'm not a taskmaster. So to catch everybody up, Tim Tompkins <laughs> retired and now he just lives in our chat. So we actually uh, we actually um, built him out a whole room in the chat in the YouTube chat. So he's sitting in there, 
and uh, staying with us that way. But um, he is off air from now on. And we are rotating through a few guests to see who uh, likes us enough to actually stay on the podcast. <laughs> and and maybe uh, maybe we'll have to take into consideration whether we want to be the three glasses glasses half full podcast. Yeah, I'm just trying to like see what, what sticks here. I, I threw on the hat and the glasses once I saw you guys. I, I, I can see perfectly <laughs> fine. So this is just me. Yours are only vanity glasses? Teasing myself. It? Yeah, yeah, exactly. They don't even have lenses. There's nothing so, in there. So somehow somehow we've already peer pressured Brendan into changing himself uh, just to He's trying to fit, uh, man. He's trying to fit in. Well, we appreciate you being here, man. Uh, we know it is early on a Saturday, and uh, uh, we always do appreciate uh, you and and the listeners just uh, taking and viewers taking the time to be with us. But let's hop into this first topic, and I'm going to admit it's one that uh, it's you two are going to have to carry because when it comes to the NBA draft, especially in a year like this, I am not the biggest fan uh, of prospects and trying to uh, read tea leaves with this, but I want to know is Desmond Bain, a guy who's been rumored uh, to be of interest to the Suns, a guy that's on either of your radars. And if so, why do you think he would fit with the Phoenix Suns? You go first, Brendan. What do you think? Yeah, well, look, so this is a guy who, um, you know, draft gurus online have, have really been excited about. But, I mean, he's a Big 12 guy, not a necessarily basketball powerhouse necessarily at TCU. So not somebody who I think was on the radar. We didn't get March Madness, obviously. So some of these under unheralded players didn't get that chance. You know, senior, so he's older. I think that that is the first thing that kind of turns – Turns your head if, if you're thinking about the Suns. We know James Jones targets those guys. Um, but the reason I'm willing to buy into it is that his skill set is, is kind of tailor-made for what the Suns need as like a combo scoring guard with a little bit of size. Um, but like you said, Espo, I, I know you, you mean like we don't want to read the tea leaves, but I also think this is a year where we can kind of drop like the preconceptions about, you know, tiers and rankings and all these things because – to me, you know, this is a year where more so than ever, it's going to be teams just taking the players that they want and kind of not being beholden to the ridiculousness of kind of, oh, this is a reach. I think there's just teams that, that talk themselves out of things for that reason. So that's going to be what this draft is to me. And also, that's how the Suns draft. Like, at least that's how James Jones drafts. So you combine kind of all of those elements. And I think Bain's a guy who I would have thought as like a fringe first rounder, but as a known quantity in this draft where we already know the Suns have interest, I think we should be kind of believing this, this possibility as we make our way closer to the draft. Yeah. I thought that <clears throat> that's a really interesting point in that this year is going to be weird as far as draft evaluation and prospect uh, picking and, and, and all that there's no NCAA tournament to um, drastically change somebody's stock. So, for example, you could have had a Tyrese Maxey just go nuts for Kentucky in uh, the tourney, and suddenly, you know, now he's a top 10 way out of the sun's range. Um, no different, you know, suddenly different, suddenly different than uh, he is right now where he's maybe below the sun's range. Desmond Bain, um, who knows? He might have gone crazy in the tournaments. Anybody, any of the players that's what happens is you, is you focus on the NCAA tournament and actually James Jones has said in the past um, that that is uh, when all the, all the front office guys do watch even closer uh, after they've done all their traveling throughout the year. 
So it's just, it's going to be weird. And then uh, no draft combine, no in-person draft combine, no in-person interviews, very little of that, of that kind of work happening this year. And so you're basically going on gut more than ever, which in my mind just makes everyone closer to James Jones and his front office because they, they drafted on gut so far. Um, And they swung and hit once with Cameron Johnson and they missed once so far missed once with Ty Jerome. Although I will warn people, Ty Jerome was a good college player. And I'll also remind everyone that Goran Dragic was named Goran tragic by uh, John Hollinger way back in, in uh, when he, after his rookie season, when John Hollinger was with ESPN. And that's, I think, the main reason people mispronounce Goran Dragic's name these days is because Tragic came became so popular. Uh, but he turned out pretty good, I would say. So, and Ty Jerome has a maturity about him and uh, a feel about him to play with high basketball IQ. Having said all that, he so far looks like a miss, and Cameron Johnson looks like a hit. Um, and uh, we'll see what the Suns do this year. There is rumors that the Suns are looking to trade down, but I think that's true of about all 30 NBA teams uh, because this is such a weak draft, like a guy like a, uh, but it's, it's interesting. I think it's only weak in that there's not two or three really surefire future all-stars coming out. I don't know that it's weak in the 10 range. I think uh, guys that are in the 10 range right now actually would be considered uh, uh, pretty reasonable in any year. Um, what do you think about that? Like uh, we've got Obi Toppin, Aaron Nesmith. Oh no, sorry. I was going for old guys. So let's, if you go for <laughs> old guys, Dave, Hey, only Chat, Dave goes for old guys. Just remember. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I go for old guys. Um, James Jones doesn't like young guys, but doesn't mean he won't take one. Um, he did like John Morant last year, but if you've got guys around that 10 spot, um, this year, they would be around the 10 spot in any year. It just wouldn't be so many of them. Right now, there's about 10 or 12 or 15 different guys who could go at number 10. So it seems pretty similar as last year. Like you talked about Cam. This is kind of, I think, how we talked about last year's draft. It's just that last year there were also the stars. It kind of had both. It Mm -hmm. had Zion and Ja, but then it also had a lot of guys. Exactly. This year, it's kind of just that middle tier, which makes drafting at the very top a little crappy. But uh, the Suns, I think, are in a perfectly fine spot to get a good player, like you said. Yeah, and I really don't think, I don't think, okay, the Suns have the youngest roster in the league through this past season. They're probably not going to be the youngest, but they'll still be young next season. Um, James Jones does is not really a fan of drafting a 19-year-old who's supposed to be in your rotation and working through it. I know they, they uh, signed Jalen LeCue this past year, but they, they did exactly what I would expect a James Jones to do with a Jalen LeCue is stick him in the G league for a long time at 19 years old and see what happens. Um, But if you're looking for actually a rotation player out of this draft, it's going to be someone who's a bit older. And among those older guys, um, you've got Obi Toppin, who's 22. He might not make it at 10, though, but it's possible he'll still be there at 10 because he's got the defensive issues. Aaron Neesmith, who's a who's a big time shooter. Sadiq Bay, who's uh, who's who's just uh, one of those um, guys who can play defense and and uh, um, rotate in with with Mikel and Kelly and them. Uh, Desmond Bain, 
who uh, actually did, like I said, he said he had a really long talk with the Suns this week. Uh, and he's already talked with 26 teams because that's how wide open this draft is. Uh, but Desmond Bain is a very mature uh, shooter, and he can also he can do a little bit of everything out there. But he's great; he's a great shot maker. Um, and then there's Tyler Bay, another Bay, who also would be a good front court rotation guy. Those are the oldest ones. Do what do you think, Brendan? Do you think um, it's going to be an older guy, or do you think um, God, if, if you know, if Isaac Okoro is sitting there at ten, there's no way you pass? on it i know it, it's really hard and i think it's it's on fans and all of us like not to overreact because at the end of the day we've only seen one draft from james jones right so he did the same thing in both picks to a certain degree uh ty jerome wasn't really a reach i actually think he fell a little bit from where he could have gotten taken but it was a it was the same type of guy I, i've been trying to focus more on what qualities and and jones actually had a pretty good quote on this after the the uh, lottery when we got to talk to him basically he seems like he wants to prioritize um just the capacity to learn and get better more so than anything so you know i think if cam johnson was 21 he would have felt good about cam johnson we've all seen cam this year and and heard from him he's a really brilliant dude and like improved by leaps and bounds Mm -hmm. from the beginning to the end of the season. So I think if Jones sees that John Morant's a good example, like you said, we know James Jones liked him and that makes total sense to me. Like Morant is a player who got better, knows the game, led that team has like a lot of grit to him and, uh, and, and was good right away. And he was a sophomore, so he wasn't necessarily one of these one and done players, but um, I think that's more where we should be looking. So Neesmith is a, a good example of a guy who is not a senior. He's not, you know, <laughs> pushing Devin Booker for an age like Cam is, but he's uh, he's a, a smart player. He played for a program at Vanderbilt where he played under Jerry Stackhouse. Um, and he has these qualities that show that he improved from his freshman to sophomore year. So that's the, the type of stuff I've been trying to look at more so than just saying it's going to be an older player. But obviously, when you talk about uh, capacity to come in right away and contribute and learn and grow with the group, you're going to lean toward the older players. I think that's kind of inevitable. Yeah, and we probably shouldn't be that myopic. I mean, gosh, we only have one draft. But it does seem like that's – and he, he says it in every interview. When you ask James Jones, what are you looking for? He talks exactly about the things you just said, Brendan, uh, because he wants guys who – who, who uh, he also wants guys who know that they are a role player in the NBA. No matter how good you are, you should consider yourself a role player. In, and that keeps you humble. Right. You don't. you shouldn't consider yourself a star, which is why I really don't see someone like a LaMelo ball, um, you know, coming to the suns. Cause uh, you know, you've got a little bit too big a head on your shoulders for, for a James Jones, Monty Williams type team. But you know um, we don't want to be too myopic. And if a Tyrese Halliburton who's 20, uh, but also seems like an incredibly smart young player or a Devin Vassell, um, is 20 and seems like an incredibly smart young player, really good defender, really great at both on ball and off ball defense and all that. I mean, you've got to, you've got to consider, uh, James Jones would, would want someone like that. Um, but I just, uh, I'm, I'm really curious to see how this draft goes, but you're right, Brendan. I think the bottom line is he's going to, he's going to go on gut feel and then he's going to get as close to the, the pick that he wants 
possible. And then he's just going to take the dude he wants. I mean, if he can't find a good trade down, he might just take a Devin, <laughs> Devin was, well, sorry, not Devin was He might just take a Desmond Bain yeah. um, at 10. And I would not be surprised. But look, it, James Jones is a lot like me in college. I, I had a type. It was anybody willing to go out with me. Right. And I think, uh, <laughs> there we go. I, I think James, I, Jones, back. I think James Jones has a type. Because I think you include Mikhail Bridges into his list of guys that that he was very much uh, interested in. From what I understand, he played a big part in drafting Mikhail Bridges from discussions I've had. So if you look at that, uh, uh, you know, and yes, you're again, it's reading tea leaves. It's only two drafts really that that you're counting there. But you're looking at a guy that's a guy that's a little older, guy who started a lot of games in college three and D guy, right? Then that's Desmond Bain to a T uh, shot 43% in his career at TCU started every game outside of his freshman year and even started 13 games his freshman year. He's a, he's a defensive guy, a defensive minded. He's going to come in and he, he's not going to be like you said, Dave, he's not going to expect to be a star. He's going to expect to fill a role on this team. So I, I think he checks a lot of boxes that we expect from from James Jones and I don't see I actually see it the opposite. I don't think this is the kind of draft that you're going to take a wild chance because whoever comes in is going to have such a truncated timetable to be able to have any impact with your team that you're going to want a guy who's smart, who's been through it before Espo. if you're did you see hey dude say come on don't be too hard on yourself you're at least a three espo well you know i on this show today i am the <laughs> i am the third wheel on this show I, you're I, a 10 actually. i'm playing i'm playing the tim tompkins role here as the third wheel today but no look i the only on the draft stuff uh, the the uh, for me i think you can't uh, i i think you're less likely to take a swing on, on a younger guy and do something a little uh, uncharacteristic yeah. <laughs> from what we expect for James Jones, because you're probably going to have, if the draft is November 18th, you're going to have six, seven weeks max to prepare uh, for an NBA season that's coming up. And it, for a Suns team that seems to want to take that next step this year, we all assume that that is after that eight and O finish in the bubble, that playoffs is what, what they want. You're going to you're going to draft a guy that can likely have an impact uh, going into this season, or which I'm in most in favor of trade the pick. I think you I think you if you want to maximize what you can get in return, and and try to prepare for that leap to the playoffs. I think you trade the pick, right? Uh, and and yeah. I know trade all the on. way out, or just trade down. I trade all the way out because I really you... like what he did twice last year, trading both up and down uh, to get role players along with the. He trade loves trades. <laughs> he yeah. does love trades, but I really like what he did. Is he brought in mm -hmm. role players, Dario Sharich and Aaron Baines, who at different points of the year were huge, hugely impactful for the team. Um, Sharich in the bubble and then Baines obviously throughout um, a couple of different points through the season, including the start. So, and that was just trading around. And I think that's what he's going to do. He's going to trade around. Yeah. He's going to end up with a pick, uh, but it just won't be the 10th pick. That's but, all. Look, yeah, I, I, I expect them to make uh, some kind of, I don't know if substantial is the right word, but 
I don't think they're going to just nibble around the edges here. I think they're going to be players and things. And if you're going to make a trade, which we, we all think is the preferred method of acquisition for James Jones in general, I think you have to have the 10th pick in play as bait for that. I mean, it's probably some combination of the 10th pick and Kelly Oubre, depending on who you're going after or what you're going to do. I just, for me, I don't, I don't see this just being a, let's trade back and, and get some kind of smaller role player in here. I think they're going to look at, at all options and do something fairly substantial. That's just, hey, let's talk about something. Let's talk about something that, um, we probably or hopefully will disagree on because I always think it's more fun when we disagree. Um, uh, Eduardo Sanchez put in the chat. Did you guys read the article about Carl Anthony Towns? Somebody posed, of course, this is trade rumor season, right? This is just people throwing shit out there. Would you trade the 10th pick, Kelly Oubre, and DeAndre Ayton for Carl Anthony Towns? Uh, probably but just simply because that puts your two best players on the same uh, as much as we hate this phrase in, in this uh, town, the t- same timeline, uh, because then you're, you're automatically uh, in that playoff discussion to be in that, uh, I, I think, in that middle tier of Western Conference playoff teams with that kind of move. Plus, uh, it may free up some some options uh in other things uh, okay so you're a yes so yeah i i think i make the move just because uh, your hope is deandre ayton becomes carl anthony towns and a slightly better version maybe a, a significantly better version but if you can get the definite that also on the same timeline as devin booker uh, I would do it, but I don't buy into the whole friendship thing. Devin Booker isn't a guy that that uh, cares about that. He's got that Kobe mentality of he cares about winning. He doesn't care about having his friends along for the ride. He cares about winning most, first and foremost. So I don't buy into the friendship part of it. I just buy into the basketball uh, improving your roster portion of it. What do you think, Brendan? I don't think I would do it. Um I think, I think Aiton might already be a better defender than Cat is. Um, I think that's a huge concern. Like not only defense, but to me, it's like the combination of him not being an impactful defender. What has he been in the league five years now? And it, it's that, and it's just the, the inability to have improved on that side of the ball. To me, where it's like at a certain point, you have to wonder why is this guy not getting better at this thing? You know. Um, and what does that say about the, the guy that you want to build a team around that he, he hasn't, I mean, it's not like we're coming up with a very specific thing about him. It's defense. It's half of the basketball game, you know, and, and he really just doesn't necessarily have a, a clear role there. He's not a great rim protector. He's not one of these guys you're going to switch around. We thought he might've been that switch type of guy and he, he just hasn't been. So he is a player though, where you look you, you, you open his like basketball reference page or uh, just check his stats and he is it's breathtaking the numbers he puts up. He's a guy who's on the short list of the, the most efficient and effective center scorers like ever. I mean, just based on the numbers, you know, it through five seasons here. So uh, it, it's it sounds silly to not want a player like that, but. I just think the Suns in the bubble especially showed me that they have such a clear vision of what this team 
can be and what they want it to be. And Aiton's a humongous part of that. I mean, Aiton, Aiton is on defense, kind of the main, the main driver of the identity that they showed. So uh, I feel like you keep, you keep Aiton for at least a bigger piece than, than Towns. I I, under, I understand where you're coming from, and I get that. And, and to be frank, I don't think the Suns actually go after him. I think there's other names that that would intrigue them uh, before giving up that much for a player uh, of of Cat's caliber. But to me, I just I wonder. You look at at the coaches that Carl Anthony Towns has had. Could Monty Williams get more out of him? I think that's why we saw the leap defensively from uh, from DeAndre Ayton from year one to year two was that I think Monty Williams got that out of him because we saw a similar leap from Devin Booker on the defensive end too. You didn't hear people uh, talking as much about him being a, a complete Olay guy on that end of the fo- uh, floor last year. So I think I think Monty Williams has a big part to do with that, and I wonder what he could do with with a guy like uh, Carl Anthony Towns. Uh, again, I don't foresee them going after him, even if that's a, a guy that becomes available. But to me, it's the kind of uh, of move that, that makes sense because it, it expedites uh, what you want, what you're hoping to have with Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton. We could all end up with egg on our face on this because <clears throat> I thought at least, I don't know. Yeah, we could. We could. I would not do the deal. And it's not because of the 10th pick, and it's not because of Kelly Oubre. I would trade both of those in a, in a deal for a good player with more years on his contract. I love Kelly, but he's just got the one year left. He's going to want more money, blah, blah, blah. Um, it's, the, it's the AD thing. And I think, as you guys already said, um, Carl Anthony Towns has had five years to focus better on D, on defense. And while he does, like, um, you can just see, okay, his stats are not that bad. Statistically, his stats are not that bad uh, defensively, but we all know defensive stats are extremely limited uh, right now. It just it just is. We have not developed a really good stat that's publicly available. I'm, I'm guessing the teams have come up with something that's usable and, and, and predictive of good defensive players, but we, we don't have it publicly available. Um, DeAndre Ayton, to me, is almost, and I'm going to say this, and you guys are probably going to laugh, but he's almost like that unicorn defensively that any team would love to have if he keeps developing on the track he's developing, which is Bam Adebayo. And we're going to we'll transition into what did Bam Adebayo and Anthony Davis tell us about um, AD's future um, <clears throat> or DA's future. Sorry. Um, Bam Adebayo is great as incredibly fast, much faster than Aiden defensively. So quick. And he can he can dive, he can do all these things. He's, he just moves around. You just look at him, and DeAndre Ayton doesn't compare speed wise. However, DeAndre Ayton can defend on the perimeter at at uh, potentially at a similar level as Bam. I really do think so. Um, even though he doesn't move as fast, he's longer. He's got the seven six wingspan. Bam. I mean, obviously, Bam has a long wingspan too. But where you see Bam come up a little short physically is that he's not any taller than 6'8", even though his arms are longer. Um, he looked small compared to the centers for the Lakers in this. Uh, and we, even when he was healthy, before he hurt himself in the, yeah. oh, I hate saying it like that, um, before he got hurt 
nobody hurts themselves before he got hurt in that first game of the finals. Um, he looked small for the, uh, compared to those guys. He didn't look like he physically could, could stay with them. Whereas DA can. And so not only can DA defend on the perimeter, but he can also defend at the rim and he can defend in a post-up situation against big guys. He's almost like that unicorn. If he stays humble, like he is. And one of the things, a lot of people give him a lot of crap uh, for uh, what I think is a humbleness that comes out. He still, he considers himself a kid. If he could walk around in sweats and a, and a t-shirt and, and, and slides all day, he would, right? I just think he's, he is uh, immature um, emotionally, but also he's, he's very humble I, and he's willing to learn. And I really I hate, like that. I hate them at that being referred to as immature. I, I, because I think there's something to be said for coming, uh, approaching the game with, with a childlike, like a, a childlike wonder to things that, that he truly enjoys the game, uh, and, and truly loves being out there because we rip, how many guys have we ripped for? Well, he, he, has the talent, but he doesn't love the game, so he's not getting better. Those kind of things. Like, I get it. Everybody wants a guy but, that wants to go out there and rip somebody's head off. But for right. me, uh, that I, I hate that that is is some kind of knock on this guy because he genuinely enjoys what he does uh, and uh, and isn't afraid to express that emotion with people. I I just I hate that about. Uh, uh, about the the things that, that you that some Being people are under eight. No, but, I think. Yeah. <clears throat> I, look, I I think, I just think a childlike wonder is a great way to put it, Brendan. I'm sorry, I'll I'll, I'll go to you really quick, but no, let me just good. finish. I think a childlike wonder is a great way to put it. I'm not saying immature in a negative way. I'm saying immature in a positive way. The dude really is just 21 years old. And he and he's got that look in his eyes that is childlike. One of my favorite memories of DeAndre Aiden that will be forever is when um, Devin Booker last year drove in and slammed hard the ball on Anthony Davis against the, uh, I guess it was against the Pelicans at the time um, and slammed it so hard down on Anthony Davis and DeAndre Aiden was under the basket as Anthony Davis's defender and Davis rotated over to try to stop Booker. And he just caught the rebound with his jaw on the floor in the middle of playing an NBA game, he reacted so strongly to Booker slamming the ball on Anthony Davis that he looked like he was a dude on the sidelines going, oh, my God, you know, and that's the freeze frame of him. He is, he does play the game with joy, and I like that. He's Sure, he's not as serious as he should be, and he will eventually, hopefully, become more serious. We all want more aggression, absolutely. I do not think he's aggressive enough. But I do think he grows and he is humble enough to get better. Go ahead, Brendan. Yeah, no, I think all that's fair. I think it's hard to know exactly what what it means for it. And I think there's a lot of examples on on kind of it it being a positive for him that he can just go out there. I mean, I agree. Like on this team, I'd say it's between Mikhail and and DeAndre for who just looks like they're having a hell of a time playing basketball. Like those two guys just love to compete. And, and that's, and that's the money. That's the money culture. It's we're going to work really hard so that when we go out there, it's awesome and really fun and we're just doing our job and, and we're good. And, and that's kind of just the, the result of the work we put in and it shouldn't be, uh, 
awful and, and we shouldn't hate each other while we do it. It should be thrilling and exciting to go compete against other teams and show what we're capable of. I think that's really what we saw for eight straight games in the bubble. But, uh, you know, circling back to towns or just kind of these other guys, I think that's exact. I, I don't think we've made enough of how much Aiden improved. I, I know we talked about it because we break these games down one by one throughout the season, but it is so important that we saw that that check point for him on both sides of the ball because it, it reminds me of what we were just talking about in the draft. We're talking about guys who have this capacity to improve and to absorb information and to get better quickly. And I don't think we necessarily group Aiton in there because A, he was a young player when he came in. So expectations are a little bit different. And two, it's just like, he's supposed to be good. You're the number one overall pick. So we don't talk about kind of your capacity to learn or all these things. You're, you're a superstar ideally. So you don't really have to be talked about that way, but it is something that we still needed to see. And we did. And, and with, with towns, like he, he, the, you know, defensive box plus minus some of these big numbers that you were talking about, Dave, like they do show that he's improved here and there. Uh, over the course of his career, this was his technically his best statistical season. But people who watched that group last year, before the shutdown, you know they started okay. They were a team that the Suns were kind of neck and neck with in that nine, ten, eleven range in the in the West. But they just fell apart completely. And you shouldn't be a fifth year superstar player and letting your team just completely fall apart after a great start to the year. Imagine what, what we would have been saying about Devin Booker if the Suns got off to that start and then by the end of the season were a lottery, like top three ping pong ball team that's that's hoping for the number one pick on draft night. The, the, the discourse about that would have been pretty insufferable. So I think we should be talking about Towns that way as a guy who just has not proven that he's willing to, willing to lead even like a competitive team or not willing to, but able to comp- to lead a competitive team. The only time they've been that was with Butler. So I know the Towns thing is, is kind of just fun to talk about, but I think it is important when we talk about Aiton or Booker or some of these other young players to just show the difference between what they pulled off this year in Phoenix and what a lot of young players have, have just been unable to do. Look, for, for me, what, what, the fact that we're talking about Carl Anthony Towns, the topic of AD and Bam in the playoffs, what this tells me, and you looked at Jokic, who, who made it to the Western Conference Finals, the big man isn't dead in the NBA. I don't care what anybody is trying to tell you or what what narrative is trying to be pushed uh, because certain people uh, – wish that DeAndre Ayton hadn't been the pick, but the big man is not dead in the NBA. It has evolved, and guess what? DeAndre Ayton has exactly the skills that it's evolved into. Will he be Anthony Davis? Probably not, but but what we're looking at is the big man's not dead, and DeAndre Ayton has exactly the skill set of a current NBA big man mixed with a little bit of what we used to love about traditional big men as well. So I think what this says is there's a large opportunity for DeAndre Ayton to actually have a major impact in the NBA in the future. Uh, Will that be next season? I don't know. I don't know that it'll take a big enough leap from year two to year three where we're talking about him as, as one of the best big men. 
But we everything we've seen is year one was pretty good. Year two, he evolved. He added things to his game on the defensive end. He showed he could shoot the three. Now, what does year three be? Does does he establish himself on a level that is expected of a number one pick? Uh, that is the big question mark now. Mm. But the narrative that uh, drafting a big man and and having a, a big man on your roster doesn't work in today's NBA is just total crap. Espo, I'm going to argue play. that till the cows come. I'm so tired of the. Does he play like a number one? The, the draft is over. Does he play like a guy who can take you to a championship? Is the only question remaining. I'm so tired of looking back at 2018. Sure, obviously he is not as good as Luka Doncic. The Suns should have drafted Luka Doncic in retrospect. Absolutely, but I would take Aiden over any of those other guys today in today's NBA going forward from today is the only thing that matters. People who worry about the past are also wondering about the girl that got away as well. And I'm just so tired of it. And not because it doesn't serve my purpose. I'm just tired of it, period. I don't look at the past. I, I am not a past looker guy. I don't do yeah. the what ifs. And guys on Brightside, will um, any of the any of the people listening right now who've been on brightsideofthesun.com for a long time will know that I hate the what if discussions. Look, we're going forward. And there's only one other guy I would take going forward over DeAndre Ayton right now. And that doesn't even matter because that guy going forward is not on the Suns and he's not going to be. So I'm going to focus on the Suns. I'm going to focus on DeAndre Ayton's ability to lead you to a championship. The things he's got to work on are not the ability to make a mean mug after he's done with a dunk. What he's got to work on is being the best defender he possibly can, become a unicorn on defense, finish at the rim like he did as a rookie. I don't know how he forgot how to finish at the rim over little guys in year two. That was weird to me. He was so good at at, at uh, putting the mouse in the house kind of thing on defense, or excuse me, on offense as a rookie that he forgot how to do as a second-year guy. He's got to get that back and develop that three-ball so he can keep people honest. And don't do the Joel Embiid three-ball where you have a five-second wind-up and you think you're drawing the defender towards you and then you drive right into the defender. I don't want that. I want the three-ball where you're actually just taking the damn shot like AD does. Um, and you don't have to be better than 33%. Like AD is, has been a 33% shooter on threes. That's good enough. That's definitely good enough. Made plenty of them last night. Distance. He made the right ones at the yeah, right time. Exactly. And that's the thing is he's a threat. So you can't not guard him. That's the key. The key is getting the shot off quickly, not taking a five second windup because nobody has to guard you. If you have a five second windup, that's the reason nobody guards Ricky either. Uh, they either decide he's not going to make it or they just, they're like, well, I got time to cut recover. If I really want to contest his shot um, <clears throat> with Aiton, you just got to have a quick release. You got to be able to finish at the rim. I don't care if it's a hard slam where he's mean mugging the camera or if it's a layup. He's still just got to put the damn ball in. And so now your gravity at the rim, your gravity at the three-point line on offense, and then on defense, you're everywhere. That's the guy who's going to lead you to a contending team. And we've seen it defensively with Bam Adebayo. The Aiden won't look the same, but he can be as effective as that. And then offensively, be a rim diver, be a finisher at the rim and, and stretch out in three. That's the guy I want going forward. Well, let's, let's move into free agency uh, and the market that will be there whenever it starts. As we established, there is no official start date 
to free agency. Yeah. The only date we know right now is November 18th. I believe it is for the NBA draft is what we have. So with free agency, there's rumors that uh, Jeremy Grant may be on the Suns radar. Uh, that is one main name we've heard. Uh, some on Suns Twitter are banging the drum to figure out how to trade for Chris Paul. Uh, I have thoughts on that. We will get to that. But uh, overall, uh, who do you think should be the target? Should Jeremy Grant be uh, be a main guy that they're focusing on or who is on their list? Brendan, let's start with you this time. Yeah, I, I, I think the guy that, yeah, Jeremy Grant is a guy who has gotten a lot of buzz, I think partially because he just was such a key part of Denver's uh, playoff run, a guy who was really, I mean, to me, it showed a lot. I, I think just having a run like that where you can prove that you're capable of, of, you know, you're up to the task of being a rotation player in the NBA, that game five when they lost it, he was almost the only guy who, who had much of anything to say as they were their season was ending. So he was really impressive. I think Mike Malone said after the year, he's a big part of their future. I think he's going to be a target. I mean, I think he, they're going to pay him uh, close to whatever he earns and, and what the market dictates that he's, that he's worth. And uh, I think this is the reason I bring that up is this is just going to be a year. I think where teams are a little bit more conservative. I think for the most part, it's going to be teams keeping their own guys. You talk about like a Fred Van Vliet, who I know is a, a popular player among Suns fans as well. I just don't see with with all the uncertainty we're talking about and something that we were talking about earlier with this training camp uncertainty. We saw it, we're seeing it with the NFL. This is going to be a year where I think you just try to maintain as much continuity and normalcy as possible to make your team better rather than swinging for the fences unless you're one of these, you know, Milwaukee's teams like that that have to. But if you're the Suns, uh, I tend to think a little bit more conservatively. So I, I don't necessarily know if I would go after a, a Chris Paul or uh, a player like that. I don't know if I would try to sign a big money player like a Jeremy Grant or a Danilo Gallinari. I think uh, to me, finding contributors, contributor role players, whether that's in the draft, like we were talking about what previously. About Christian Wood? Yeah, I, I think he makes sense along those lines, but I think he's going to be expensive. I think kind of like Jeremy Grant, the Pistons are going to value well, him Suns and pay him what he's worth. Up to, depending on, let's assume that the salary cap's going to be flat, so 109, even though uh, the revenues don't don't support that, I don't think they're going to drop the salary cap. So let's say it goes, it's 109. Suns would have about 20 million that they could create in space mm -hmm. before then signing minimum guys or whatever. Uh, so you've got, you'd be giving up Aaron Baines, Dario Saric, uh, and um, gosh, I'm forgetting who else. Oh yeah. Well, Javon Carter could come back on him. I see Javon Carter and, and, and guys like that, they can come back on the same size contract they currently have. So it's really the cheapest possible contract. Yeah. Because so it's really, um, it's really Aaron Baines and, and uh, Dario Saric and, and, and Kaminsky. And Kaminsky, that you'd be given away, but you could replace, you'd have to replace those guys with minimums. Um, so, would you spend your money on a Christian Wood? Uh, for me, I don't think it, he's a four, and that's part of the issue. Right. Yeah, that's uh, that's where I am. But you know, I get positionless basketball will be the argument and and whatnot. But I I think this year, uh, this off season is going to show just how shrewd 
James Jones is. Because there is going to be value. There's going to be opportunity in this market based on the economics that are going on right now and the truncated timetable that you're going to have. I think we're going to see a lot of one-year deals. You're going to see a lot of things that you wouldn't necessarily expect this offseason. And the smart teams are going to find a way to get better without mortgaging the future. You know, And I think... I want to have the faith that James Jones is a guy that can do that, right? I don't think Jeremy Grant is your answer there. I I am underwhelmed by the idea of Jeremy Grant. I'm just going to be frank. And this may be one of those things that six months from now, I'm eating my words. Is that a Freudian slip? You said Frank. (laughs) No, not Frank Kaminsky. But look, I think think he underwhelms me. I don't think it's the name if it, that you're going to go after. If you're going to if you're going to spend money, uh, that's not who I go after. I I, I tend to agree that uh, I think there's interest in Fred VanVleet. I think that that number is going to get uh, too high, really big to 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 really get at that table to eat at uh, eat at that at that table. I think he winds up back in Toronto just based on uh, on where they are and and the cost. I just I don't see the Suns are going to probably kick the tires. I don't see them committing there. I'm intrigued by the idea that Brandon Ingram may not be uh may not be happy in New Orleans. We've heard rumblings of this, right? That is a very deal with his his heavy lidded look, but you know what? He'll make Aiton look really engaged. Look, I I I don't give a crap. That guy proved he can ball, and and if there's an opportunity, can definitely ball for sure. That is the kind of big swing that uh, that could wind up uh, making all the difference when it comes. You would swing on Aiton. I Ingram Ingram is is somebody I would I would definitely make a move for, and don't be surprised if there's some off the radar thing that's a that's some one year kind of move that that this team looks at and, and tries yeah. to do because I, I that's where you're going to find the value. I don't know if it's it's trading for for a guy that it maybe so is injury who are guys in the final year. You know, I wouldn't yeah. uh I would not be surprised if they revisit the Luke Kennard thing. He's got a year left before he becomes a restricted free agent. Um and uh, the only issue obviously there is health. Look, 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 Luke Kennard, Victor Oladipo, those kind of names where you've got a guy that's got a year left that has some injury questions that you can come in, you can kick the tires. And if it doesn't work, you all right. Uh, The the only the only danger with that is do you wind up potentially with a a, Isaiah Thomas situation if you're not careful and who you're and who you're selecting, do you mess with the chemistry? But that's what you're going to have to do to get this team where you need to be for for the uh, uh, for a playoff run. Look, next person that says Chris Paul to me as a suggestion is getting <laughs> muted on Twitter, or if you say it to me in person, uh, we may have fisticuffs, all right? Uh, we may go old school. Uh, because when was I'm not the last time you threw a punch, Espo? Come on. Uh, never is actually the <laughs> answer, to be correct. I'm more of a uh, me guys and run kind of fighter. Uh, the one time I got in a fight in sixth grade on the basketball court. I one of my favorite got... stories was Charles Barkley talking about getting into a fight. Did you hear this? No, I did not. And I'd he did the, he did the crazy Barkley man thing. He did the crazy man thing. He was, he, he, uh, uh, he and his buddies were leaving a bar and some dudes were following them. He and one got one buddy were leaving a bar and some dudes were following them and, and giving them crap. And it got into, you know, potentially a fight. And he decided to do the, 
I'm just going to act crazy like I'm high on drugs and just totally just threw, they took some clothes off and started running around doing weird. This is his description of this anyway. And he's like, man, I did everything I could not to have to actually get into a real fight before the cops showed up. <laughs> Are we sure that Charles wasn't under the influence of something? And he's just oh, trying no, he to sound like a story that that's been embellished uh, to make him look a little better. Maybe. Well, well actually he was, he was talking about it in a very, um, uh, self-deprecating way, but you're right. I, I, I'm guessing he did. He did a couple of things to make him look maybe not as bad as he. nobody is used to getting into fights. Very few people are used to fights. But look, so my, don't offer the fisticuffs if you're not willing to back I, it up. I, I, I'm willing to go old school. Let's let's end this malarkey. <laughs> what are you right? rock them, sock them. Yeah, what is that? That, <laughs> that is the sign takes, of a person. <laughs> whatever it takes who, uh, to stop yeah, the Chris Paul who doesn't know how anybody. to fight. Yes, anybody who does this doesn't know. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. That's how okay. much I'm sick of the Chris Paul fight. I am. I am not. I am underqualified no. to get in a fight and i'm willing to do it if anybody brings up chris paul again look, <laughs> look, that's, if, that's I right. paul, look if i could put chris ball chris paul into not ball uh chris paul into um you know uh uh last year's version right if i could be sure be guaranteed of the 2019 20 version of chris paul for a year running the suns i do think they would have gone farther um this past well this next year would definitely be a playoff team. But Chris Paul is also pretty famous now for not being able to get past the second round. So how far are you really going to, is it worth it just one playoff appearance? I think the reason it's not worth it is any of the, most of the teams that are, you know, we saw Russell Westbrook and, and Chris Paul are like two of the only guys in the league who are on that contract. So it worked. But most teams that are going to trade for Paul are going to be giving up four or five players to get up to the 40, $50 million that he's making. So that's why I just think it's, it's really crazy for most teams that don't have a, a huge money player to be doing this. Like the Suns would have to combine so many of their rotation, so much of their rotation just to acquire this guy. I know he's a great player, but we're talking about chemistry and all these things. It just seems like that would be a, like a atomic bomb to place on your roster just to make that happen. And like you said, I mean, sort of what's, what's the the ceiling on doing that? You're probably pretty good next year, but I mean, whether it's Chris Paul's inability to have gotten through to the, the third and fourth rounds or just the team still not quite being good enough, I don't think you're a finals team by any means. So really what, you know, what are you doing there? Um, so to me, that's that's really where I would land on Paul or any of these really high money players. Um, but just in general, I think the other thing we have to consider about the free agents, going back to Christian Wood or uh, any some of these forwards and wings and bigs, is that everybody that this team is going to look at is going to be a good shooter. And we just have to. I, I just like I've been a big Aaron Gordon guy for a long time. I, I'm kind of getting off that. I think he's a good fit for the team defensively and, and as a playmaker, mm -hmm. but I just don't think the Suns are going to look at guys who can't knock down shots. The only player on this entire rotation in the bubble who wasn't, uh, I guess there's two, but you know, Aiton was taking those shots and at least as a player who's a, a threat sometimes for mid range and things like that, I guess you can include him, but it was really Rubio and Aiton. Every other player that stepped onto the floor was a shooter and even Rubio can knock down spot up shots when he's wide open. And he does have, like you said, Dave, the time to, to launch it. So uh, I just, I, I think guys that, that can't shoot or are a question mark or are so young who we don't necessarily know if they're going to shoot. 
I just think, you know, for me, I'm going to downgrade them quite a bit in terms of what I think the Suns might be, you know, wanting to pay them. Yeah, I think you're completely right there, Brendan. I just, I think they're going to look at uh, shooting as a big portion of what they're considering with guys. But for me, Chris Paul, the price tag takes you out of it completely. This The second you see that, you're insane if you actually try to go with that. But I want to get to a uh, a topic that might surprise you guys. But I've been working on something, and I'm very excited to unveil Wait, it. this isn't your big board, is it? It, well, thank you for ruining the entire. No, no, wait, 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 wait! Don't do that yet. We got one more section. Oh, fine. What, if D- Dave? Why don't you take the steering? You're the big wheel finish, man. Yeah. No, no, so you're you, just the here, big finish. You take the wheel and and you drive this section of the, of the car. All right, Tim, all we right. miss you. <laughs> <laughs> Go, Dave. Um, okay, well, uh, just this is related. So, I own my takes. All right, I, I'm a big. Um, I, I'm not afraid to talk about the takes that I have, whether they're good or bad. And it's okay if um, if my take isn't good. It's okay with me. It's fine. Um, but I do want us to talk through talk it through right now. So I uh, posted on Twitter this week, and I'm hoping Espo can share this screenshot on uh, to you guys who are who are here in, in live in the YouTube in the YouTube. Uh, but I had a take on Twitter this week that I got one of those. Uh, more comments than I did likes. <laughs> so let's that see. That ratio how this ain't a good thing there, my friend. I got ratioed, and that's totally fine. Um, I wrote Mikkel Bridges owes DeAndre Ayton many thanks, not all the thanks, but many thanks for taking all the flack on the need to improve offensively in coming seasons. People are cool with Bridges' nine points per game going forward and lack of a plan on offense. So while I was saying there, of course, Twitter does not allow for nuance. But what I was saying there is that DeAndre Ayton gets all the all the gruff, all the guff for not actually um, uh, improving on offense since he since he joined the league. Not not that much. He actually regressed a little bit in year two. But Mikel Bridges like forgot how to shoot. He came out as a 17 points per game NCAA champion. Uh, who could shoot from uh, 40% from three. And we're okay with him forgetting how to shoot and only occasionally remembering. Um, so tell me, should I, am I getting, am I being too hard on Mikel for wanting him to actually get better on offense in coming seasons? Or should I be happy with the fact that he's a really high level role player because he's so good on defense? No, Brendan, I think. The, oh, Espo, go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think the nuance of what you brought up is exactly right that DA takes more heat, but that's simply because he was the number one pick. That's that's the price you pay when you go number one and somebody outshines you, right? Mikhail Bridges went 10. You know, like nobody, nobody's sitting there uh, nitpicking as much because it's the lower half of the lottery, and it came the same year that DeAndre did. So your point is exactly right in the fact that he doesn't take the same scrutiny uh, as DA. And there's this uh, bizarre love affair uh, with, uh, with him. And I think rightfully so for some of the elements of his game, but he certainly needs to, to regain that offense uh, that he had in college. I have, I have no problem with, usually I'd love to tell you you're an idiot. And, and there are a lot of tweets that I can come on, man. on the speed that you are an idiot for, but this is not one of them. I think this is, uh, this is a, a way to look at this. Uh, you know, if you were just simply saying, uh, you know, without, without 
the the context of what we know happens with DA, yeah, it, it could come off as dumb. But I I think with when you're looking at it with the nuance and the uh, the actual thought process of what's going on here, the point is valid. McHale does not take the scrutiny that DA does, and McHale's offense needs work. Uh, that, that that's not a knock on McHale; he just needs to work on it. So. Yeah, to me, uh, I I don't know why I'm so obsessed with talking about Mikhail Bridges, but I could do like a six-part mini-series on Mikhail Bridges. <laughs> I, I have all the time in the world to talk Everyone about this listen. guy. I think he so, – so, so let me get this out of the way first. I think to me, if you go down the Suns roster, he's the second – I don't know how to even put the kind of title into words, but of the, the guys that you would call winners on this team – He's number two to me behind behind Devin Booker. I think that has been the reason we've seen such a weird adjustment and a guy who a lot of the time, you guys are totally right, does not look like the player we saw at Villanova. But that doesn't mean he hasn't been incredibly impactful. I think he's on his way to being an all-NBA defender. So, you know, those types of guys you don't need as much from offensively. They need to be able to stay on the floor offensively, but the bar is a little lower to me. Um, but a couple things, I think the real reason we need to, the real factor that we need to see change from McHale, uh, to, to be, you know, better or to improve or whatever kind of metric we want to use is he just needs to be more aggressive. And I think that's the big, when we've seen him have these highs and lows, the highs are always sort of characterized by him just playing with more aggressive mentality, feeling like he's empowered to score the ball. I think there's times when he's so focused on, being a good teammate, sharing the ball, keeping the offense going, that it doesn't occur to him that his open corner three or his you know cut to the basket or drive from the perimeter is the best shot available in the offense. I think that's a lot of something that plagued a lot of the players on this team as they learn Monty's system is focus so much on that point five, make a quick decision, get the ball, get the ball to Devin, get the ball to DeAndre, and it didn't occur to them, hey, I'm open, I'm going to shoot, and I think they all sort of that clicked for them in the bubble. We, why we saw some seemingly random players play so well and score and so well. And what about Mikel, like looking great in the seeding games, right? We were like, exactly. oh my God, the superstar is here. He was attacking, but, he was doing everything. And then yeah. suddenly the, the games mattered and he regressed again. I guess, but look, so he's in, in February, 43% from three. In March, 35% from three. Uh, only 17. There were only four games that they, that they played in March. And then in the seven bubble games... In August, he was 43% from three. So the three-point shot came around by the end of the year. I don't really worry about that as much. I think he was pretty honest about the hitch that developed between his, his senior season and his rookie season. Uh, I think that, that to me, seems fixed. Uh, he's one of the best cutters in the entire NBA. Um, and I don't know how much more he needs to do. If he starts to take and make more threes, he's a cutter. He's a great transition scorer. And he's smart enough to move the ball in that system. Like with the defense he provides, I, I don't know. To me, you're you're really starting to get toward a guy who's like a twenty million dollar player already. Just comparing yeah. him to other guys around the league, Robert Covington. Or, these players are valuable, even if they're not. Well, you know, twenty points. I'm scorer. just being greedy. I want him yeah. to be. I want him to be uh, fifteen to eighteen points a guy, game a guy. Um, he has the who, ability, so I think I think that's fair. 
I think the problem right. here, and I think Brendan brought it up, is it's just not expected of him. It's not what what you needed in these first two years. Well, and maybe that... expectations can change, though. That's no, that's I, I agree. I, I totally agree that they can change, and they probably should change for him. But I think in year one and two, I think Brendan makes a very good point there that it was it just he was not expected to be that. He came in and was doing the things that that were expected of him: the defense, that the little things like that's that's what you was expected of him and he and he did that so i i get where i get where brendan's coming from we are we are at an hour now so let's get to okay uh, what i what we were teasing big finish i i have done something that most of you would not expect as i said i'm i'm not big on the draft but i have put together uh well we've got a graphic for it let's just let's just the graphics department threw this together uh it's espo's big board volume 1.0 uh, we we have gone all in, uh, and uh, let me just tell you, this one was uh, full of research. Sexy uh, man. I, I am a yeah. This is this is an old picture. I'm twice the man I was there, uh, <laughs> size wise at least. Uh, so yeah, so uh, I went through, and we are going to talk. Uh, you know, uh, I'm very excited. We're going to break down a lot of things with Espo's big board, and today. It's the top five mustaches in Suns history. Yeah, this isn't going where any of you thought. So at number five, we've got the man, the myth, the legend. Yeah, that's right. It is the one and only Horatio Yamas. Hey, look at that mustache. Woo-hoo! That's a good one. Horatio's mustache is just spectacular, right? What you gotta, big board you gotta love is this, that. dude? You got you to tell us what's going on. I here. told you, the top the mustache five mustaches with- in Suns history. The mustache oh. with the clean shaven around it is a is a good look. Especially, I mean, it works on him. It maybe not for everybody. It, it's quality. <laughs> it's definitely not for everybody. By the way, this is this is the kind of this is the kind of analysis that you only get at the Sun's solar panel. And more power to Brendan. He had no clue I was doing this, and already brought quality analysis to this. Next guy, mine. you may not you Versal. may not know him. You may not know him, but number four is Ron Lee. Look and at this that hair. Spectac- Ignore the hair. Look at that stash. This is just beautiful. If if I were drafting based purely on mustaches, Ron Lee would be a guaranteed first round pick. Even at this age, if he's still rocking that mustache, you know, I would totally put Ron Lee uh, towards the top. Of I also my want to comment. The dude's looking buff. I did. I listened yeah. to a. Um, uh, podcast said to remember him from the nineties with the Suns, right? Yes. Um, and he said, he joked that back in the day, nobody lifted weights in the NBA. They all lift weights. Now nobody lifted back then. He goes, I didn't lift any weights my entire career. And so Ron Lee looks like he lifted weights or it's just natural, man. He's looking it, it good. looks like a character in semi-pro the Will Ferrell movie. <laughs> yeah. it looks like, like it looks yeah. like a fake basketball player. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. What you can't see is Ron Lee's legs, not buff. His arms are because it took a lot to get that hair to look like that. You had to have strong arms. To do that. <laughs> so number three is a guy that you'll recognize by the picture, but you may not know that he had played for the Suns. It is Pat Riley. Look and at that. that. Is, you know, oh some goodness. people would say this is a, a trash stash, but I think this is a thing of beauty, right? What you're this thing, stash, dude. That is a porn he, stash. He was on the 75-76 Cinderella Sons. A few people don't know that. But uh, yeah, one that, of the final appearances that uh, one Pat Riley had was with the Suns. And that is him, actually. I'll, I'll remove the lower third here so you can see. That is him in, in old school Suns gear. Yeah. Uh, rocking very he was 70s on look. the Suns bench, yes. But but that mustache is a, a – look, if you're looking – back. 
I, I, I might actually rock this at some point on the sun solar panel. That's how impressed I am with Pat Riley. So he's in the third. You gotta do the hair too. On my big board. I could never, I, I couldn't commit to growing my hair long during the pandemic. You will never see me like that. But Pat Riley, number three on the big board when it comes to mustaches in Suns history. We're going to move to number two. And this is, we're getting to the top of this, uh, this draft board. Uh, and that means one thing and one thing only. You got to have our friend Kurt Rambis there. I don't know why I said he's our friend. I've never met the man, but when you look like that, <laughs> he looks like he'd fit in on the show. He could be the fourth host right here. With, with that him the and a hat. Give him a hat and he's Get, right in here. Give him the hat with that stash. I mean, it is just, it's a thing of beauty when you add it to that Western Conference font. He is, he is on anybody's top list when you're talking stashes. It's got to be Kurt Rambis. And then there's only one man that could uh, uh, could hold the number one spot here. Uh, many of you probably think it's Charles Barkley, and you're damn wrong. That stash is whack. It's trash. It's tiny. It was not good. He does not make the top five. Uh, unfortunately, we lost this gentleman uh, recently, and, and uh, Connie Hawkins a couple years ago oh, passed oh, away. Look at but that the, the Hawk stash is is all time great. I would put the stash by itself in the Hall of Fame. The Suns Ring of Honor should have Connie Hawkins and Connie Hawkins mustache. I feel that like Connie good. Hawkins is the reason they went with long shorts. <laughs> in the uh, NBA. You, there's a there's a history there that I'm, we're not going to get into the history of uh, why Connie Hawkins forced long shorts. I'm just kidding. But uh, Connie Hawkins mustache, best in Suns history. And yeah. as, you, as you know, that is the first edition of Espo's big board uh and i don't know that we'll bring it back but uh i may rank other random things in son's history brody says uh, because- uh rambus looks like a younger dave king um yep and then earlier this week i think uh, uh somebody said that dragon bender looks like my son so you know uh maybe i uh maybe i just produce you know we'll see I don't know. Maybe, maybe we'll see if the Flaming Ballers like this uh, are, are, are paid fans. Uh, maybe we'll keep doing it. I just, I'm not, I'm not a draft guy, so I can't give you the analysis that you want. This is, but, this is but, Espo's big board. Yes, and and yeah. that means anything could be ranked. We could, we could rank bad <laughs> Dave King tweets next week. You don't know what's going to show up on Espo's. Oh big man, board. you don't want to see my tweets. Oh. Well, we already had to subject our viewers to one of them today. So, so look, anything could happen. I mean, uh, we could, at some point, as we rotate through uh, through guest hosts, maybe my big board is just our guest hosts that we've had as we go on this search for people. And right now, Whoa, Brendan, I'd like great. you to know you're number one on that big board. I appreciate that. I hope I can make an appearance at number one uh, in a few weeks. <laughs> so, so that, uh, you know, I just uh, – I, I want to have a little fun and we're in a weird off season. Uh, you know, we're going to, we're going to analyze to death who they're going to draft, who they're going to, who they're going to trade for or sign, but we're going to, we're going to just pick some random things in son's history and give you a big board on it. And the All right, so as you can see, the one thing we lose when we lose Tim is our ability to manage the actual show show. Um, can you guys hit the <laughs> thumbs up, but uh, thumbs up button while you're here, that really helps with those little algorithms on YouTube. Uh, definitely smash that thumbs up button. You can join if you want to. You can throw us some cash. We don't, we don't need cash, um, but we want cash. So if you want to do a join, the join, that's awesome. You can become a flaming baller yourself. You can see some of the guys on here. They've got that flaming baller. Uh, David Wigton, Blaze Megatron, MT. You guys are awesome. We love you guys. 
And you do get a special invite on Facebook if you're a Facebooky type person um, to join in some chats that we need to get more active in, but we will. And uh, we will, and we let you come up with your own questions for the show. So we are going to move down. We are going to move toward the uh, Flaming Ballers Q&A. And I think there's a couple in here. Greg, you want to take that away? Oh, good, great. Now, uh, you know, I run the whole last segment. Now I got to know what questions people are asking here. Uh, Steve Holler wants to know, can you get Kurt Rambis on the pod? I have no clue. Maybe. I mean, <laughs> we don't even know Kurt. At, at this point, I mean, at this point, I just want to get somebody well that can y'all keep think us on the rails. <laughs> so that's that's the main thing let's uh let's see because i am also most of you don't know i'm also producing the video side of this as we uh as we do this so any yeah, camera doing everything he's the man uh hey duke wants the top five almost espo fights uh number one on that big board <laughs> a, a friend charged me on a basketball court in sixth grade uh, i grabbed his head and, and jammed it into my knee it was really bad but uh it's a uh, somebody else in the chat, who was it here? Uh, Brody wants to know, how about Espo uh, shaves the, the uh, shaves next week but leaves the stash? Not going to happen. Uh, Fabio wants me <laughs> to do Espo the has top. a family that doesn't want him to do any <laughs> yeah. of that shit. No, I might actually do it for Halloween because I'm going as Luigi because my daughter wants to go as Princess Peach. But uh, Fabio wants the top five hairstyles, uh, obvious. Uh, Tim Tompkins weighs in. Yes, guys, you're six minutes over how long the show is supposed to be. It's nine now, Tim. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, and where else do we got? Uh, I, I saw one other question earlier on was about uh, oh, who was it? Somebody was asking what we thought about a trade in terms of things. Uh, I'm always a yes on Goran Drogic, uh, you said. So oh, God, say know. it right, though. I said it for you. So. Oh, God, dang. That's so, so frustrating. How about That's this almost one? as bad as when people say nuclear. I mean, there's some <laughs> things that just really yeah. bother me. I, I had to mispronounce a name in honor of uh, our fallen. Goran friend. Drogic went nuclear in the playoffs <laughs> until he hurt his foot. Uh, Bros- Brody wants to know, uh, what about the talk in regards to Oladipo, I don't think he'd be a good fit. Uh, what would that mean for Point Book? I think this is. An hey, we're going to have to have a Point Book episode uh, because I was so against it when he was 21, 22 years old because he kept getting hurt. But I'm now I'm less against it than I used to be. And I know Brendan is a big point book person, I'm pretty sure. Um, I think he can handle it a lot more physically now. So, but I'm not sure Oladipo is the best fit next to him. I'll give I'm not I'll, sure I'll, Oladipo I'll has that. much more left. I mean, I, I don't know. Oh, he's not as far as age, he's got stuff. but he's his got injury, left. I mean, he looked like it's going to be another yeah. several months of next season. And now you're talking about three seasons worth of recovering from this injury. Yeah, that would be a big point. worry for me. I, I think, I think uh, for me, it would be one of those guys that you take as a flyer and you make him your sixth man uh, if he's willing yeah. to accept it and uh, and just see. I mean, just just see if if there's anything left because I I'm guessing it wouldn't cost a lot to to acquire him just uh, just simply because well, of that injury history. Except for the money so. part. Well, but you know, you can you can take a chance on one year with money and and hope you catch lightning in a bottle. Because if you get All Star Oladipo, then you've really got something uh, cooking with that bench, which uh, you know was was better in the bubble, but at times it has been an Achilles' heel 
for this team. So I, I, I can I can understand and consider one thing. Uh, there there was a question Justin in the chat wants to know that there, there was some talk that you guys had uh, on Brightside and Brendan. Uh, I I bring this up w- with the utmost respect, but I, I you guys talked about Robert Sarver and his political donations and, and where. Uh, they kind of netted out. Uh, can can you talk a little bit about that as, as our final thing here? Uh, what was the the onus for the piece, and and what what did you guys kind of uncover, uh, Dave and Brendan? I, since you are both uh, Brendan, you wrote the piece. Dave, you're obviously the editor. I just think it's a a good opportunity to kind of discuss that a little bit, if you don't mind. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, people should go read John Gonzalez over at the Ringer did a story that. I thought was a really good way into this because, you know, you want to talk about these things, but you don't want to bash a person for just simply not donating to the side that you would have donated to. Right. That's not exactly fair, but, but he really centered it around this HR 7120, the bill that the NBA has come out for. It's the George Floyd justice and policing act, the big bill that the house came together. Let's, you know, put all of these things on paper around June when the the protests were going on, all this stuff. That's the thing that the NBA is focused on as far as like legislation to fix some of the problems that that are uh, wrong with criminal justice and things like that. So that's what they want to pass. And it hasn't passed, obviously. The House passed it. It has not passed the, the U.S. Senate. So I kind of use that as a jumping off point to say, well, you know, who has Robert Sarver supported and are they on board with these things? And it's kind of hard to say because that bill kind of just fell flat. So not the Senate didn't even have a chance to vote yes or no. So no, neither of Arizona's two senators or anybody actually voted on that bill. But yeah, Robert Sarver has, he has voted, he has donated on both sides, but it has tended to lean toward the GOP. And, uh, you know, we had the whole thing with the city councilmen, the, the bribery ridiculousness, but what really came out of that to me was Sarver admitting that he had donated to this guy who had some expletive laden rants about the NBA's uh, demonstrations this season um, and, and their support for black lives matter. So uh, there are just, it's a track record of thousands of dollars going to politicians who seemingly are not on the same page with the NBA and whether that's right or wrong is for fans to decide, but that is kind of what we're faced with. And Sarver's not only doing that, but, he's not alone. Almost the entire NBA ownership group is, has consistently supported the side of the, the aisle, so to speak, that, that, that hasn't wanted to pass these things that the NBA is specifically asking for. And I just think that's, it's going to come to a head because we talk about the demonstration in the NBA. We talk about what these athletes want, the communities that they come from, all the effort that they put in on this stuff and the, the owners aren't really putting their money where their mouth is there. And, and that's a, kind of an unavoidable fact at this point that I think isn't going away. Oh, Brendan, uh, and I, I appreciate that, that you were reporting and, and, and kind of bringing things to light. I think a few things for me, and, and I know a lot of people are running with this. It's not you weren't taking this as, as a negative server thing, but mm-hmm. I, I haven't hidden my my feelings about certain things when it comes to Robert Sarver. Uh, quite frankly, I've been, <clears throat> I just Dave Kinged it. Sorry. Quite frankly, yeah. <laughs> uh, I have been, uh, I, I have been a very much a critic of Robert Sarver when he deserves it. 
I, I don't think this is one of those cases necessarily, because when you look at uh, if we're going to talk about specific donations, most of these happened well prior to uh, any of the Black Lives Matter issues or the specific bill that you're talking about. Uh, based on the reporting, nothing has, has happened in the year 2020. Yeah, the, the filings come out late. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We don't know. And look, I in most cases, I don't care where he donates his money because he's going to mm-hmm. do it on both sides. It's the way rich guys to just do this, right? You can rip Robert Sarver for a lot of things. I don't think this is a case. You know, you, in the piece you mentioned, Martha McSally, he donated there. There's connections there. One of his former executives that works worked for the team uh, actually is is one of her uh, heads of uh, of her operation uh, in the Senate. So there's personal connections. So, and longtime uh, you know, Tucson folks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. There, there's connections there. Uh, the the Cicio stuff that you're talking about uh, that had every Everything to do with the arena. Let, let's not act act myopic. Let's not put our heads in the sand. Sure. People donate money to people when they need something passed. And that was the that was the arena deal. That was decisio. Uh, overall, Robert Sarver, when it's come to political situations that impact our community, has has stood on the right side of it. Look at SB 1070. Yep. Uh, he said the right thing uh, earlier this year when it came to the Black Lives Matter movement uh, when it came to his players. Uh, Stronger statement I, than most owners gave. Yes. I agree so, with you. So yep. I, I will give a here, very strong statement. I will defend him in terms of this. When it comes to the right things in those areas, Robert Sarver and the organization have come through even in times when they are screwing up other things. So, yeah, yeah. so for the fans uh, and Brendan, again, I know that you were not uh, ripping him in the article. I think people mm. have used that to, to have that argument online. But to me, uh, that I think that is just not an argument that, uh, that is, uh, yeah, it is a really good point. And, and I'll just throw in that, um, I've also been critical of Robert over the years, Mr. Sarver over the years, however you want it, however he wants to be called. Um, but as far as social issues, it doesn't matter that he's a little, he's probably leans conservative. Uh, most billionaires, um, who, who have lived the life he has, um, are you know more aligned with conservative values? There's nothing wrong with that. I don't. I'm no. I don't judge anybody. But when it comes to actually governing in the NBA, he has been really progressive in the in the uh, visual messaging, in the support, uh, the low sun stuff. He was one of the earliest ones to support all that. Uh, going against 1070, as as Espo mentioned, all these things over the years for sure. I do think it was important to report, Brendan, because uh, um, these are the times that we're in, and this is this is a flashpoint in the U.S. right now. And I just, you know, we all would wish that the uh, the governors, not the owners, because that is a bad connotation, but the governors of the NBA would be more in line in their thinking with the players that they are supporting and the players that they are supporting are looking for racial equality in a lot of different ways that um, folks like that look like me and look like Espo and look like Robert Sarver have not always supported because it's more comfortable for us to support the, the way things are today. Um, yeah. So that's it. That's the only yeah. point I think Brendan was making that I was supporting. And I wholeheartedly agree with that. And um, I think people who look like me and look like Robert Sarver and look like uh, Brendan and Espo generally are not in support of the things that the black players are fighting against. 
Well, I just, I wanted to give an opportunity. I know we've run long, but I wanted to give an opportunity to to have that discussion, Brendan, because I know it's come up on, online. So Brendan, yeah. thank you so much for being, uh, being a guest host today. Uh, we really Thanks do appreciate it. And I think, uh, considering that you had to deal with Dave and I for a full hour and almost 20 minutes now, you did a fantastic job. So uh, we'll likely have you back on as we go through, through all this process and then trying to figure out what the heck we're doing. Dave, any last thoughts before, uh, before we get out of no, here? So uh, we're just going to do a completely scientific decision on who we're going to have as a, as a third host on the show. It's going to be based entirely on those thumbs up. So, you know, Let's hope you get the most thumbs up, Brendan. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll second this. Even though we didn't button, mention then, that yeah. at the beginning when we had most of our listeners and now we've lost half of them because we were talking about politics for a little bit. Um, I do think that um, that it's really a human rights issue that I'm more interested in, not the politics side. Um, but it does happen to be politics because you have to elect the right people into office. That well, are we talking about voting for Brendan to be on quality. the show now? Yeah, it's now we're talking about voting. Right, yeah, exactly. I mean, I think um, Tim has some uh, a shady background that we needed to you know, distance <laughs> ourselves from. So, you oh, know, I'm just Brendan trying to just bring won. some law- lawfulness into the show. Brendan oh, just law won. and order. No, no, uh, no, Brendan, no. Brendan just won some points for just uh, dissing Tim. So for Dave King, for Brendan Clean, I'm Greg Esposito. Thank you so much for joining us on what turned out to be a supersized edition of the Sun Solar Panel.